0: Well, good morning. Hope you're all doing all right. Um, It's good to see all of you. Um, If you're new or visiting, um, my name is Norman. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at King's Cross. Um, It is good to be back. Uh, I've been away for a few weekends, though I I have been here during the weekdays, But I've been away some of the weekends uh, camping, uh, seeing friends, um, but how I wish I could be here on Sunday uh, more often during these final weeks. Um, While I haven't been around on weekends, I've enjoyed the way that we have met together as the church during the week, uh, during the weekdays. Um, I'm grateful for the way the church is living out the gospel uh, from our time studying uh, Revelation together, for those of you that were uh, with us there uh, to casual meets uh, in cafes or really late night walks through uh, Corona, um, I'm thankful for the continued witness of our church living out the gospel in our lives. Thank you for those of you uh, who have like checked up on me, um, even if it's a text or a message in a messenger app your messenger of choice. I'm not a hard person to get the hold of, but uh, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm glad to be here in person today. Uh, We are starting a new series. Um, We've been in Esther for a while. Um, We finished that uh, last week. Josh gave a great encouragement uh, for the gospel. We're starting a new series. Would you pray with me as we ask the Spirit to teach us this morning? Would you bow your hearts and your heads with me? Holy Spirit, would you teach us and guide us? We are a broken people in need of your life-giving word. Help us to see Jesus, not as an idea or as as a distant figure. Help us to see Jesus in the way he was present with those he loved. Help us to see Jesus in how he moved with love, for he is the perfect expression of the love that the Father has for us. May we also embody and enjoy that love today. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, for those of you who have your bulletins, you know that we are starting a new series in the book of 1 John. Now, uh, for those of you who have, uh, were here when we did this uh, what was it six years ago about, um, 1 John has historically been known as an epistle or a letter, Fancy words. Um, But as we're going to look into the text, um, we'll discover that in a lot of ways, 1 John doesn't really look like a letter. Um, It doesn't have a a formal greeting as some of the other letters in our Bibles have. Um, And it ends really abruptly. Um, If you have your phones and you want to skip over to the last chapter, uh, it ends really abruptly. It doesn't have any personal touches or closing words. Um, if you look at the last verse, if you read it, you're, you're kind of like, what? Are we, are we missing a part of this book? Um, if it is a letter, it is a very peculiar letter. Um, scholars and commentators uh, aren't exactly sure what genre to put First John in. Um, in some ways, it has a companion in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, some of you might know, was also known as a letter for some time. Um, it was once known as a letter, um, but it's probably better recognized, and I, I think First John is similar, as just a written address, um, similar to what we have today as a, it's like a written form of a modern-day sermon. Um, so because uh, 1 John is, is fairly general, we don't have that much in the text to tell us if there was a specific occasion, if something was going on, like very specifically anyway, um, but we can be sure of a few things, and I just want to outline some of these things before we jump into the text today. Uh, we can surmise from reading through 1 John that the church that was receiving this, I'll call it a letter from here here, and there, receiving this word uh, was going through a major crisis. Uh, from chapter 2, uh, you'll see that in the middle of chapter 2 there, um, John mentions that people who were once pillars of the community had left. They were consumed by wayward teachings, and this left the church divided, confused. Uh, We also know that the author who's writing 1 John, um, we'll call him John following church tradition, uh, he's writing in his later years. He's old. He's old. Uh, In some ways, we can say that he's also gained a lot of wisdom in his years. Uh, In a way, as we are reading through 1 John, These are his words of wisdom, closing words, so to speak, to this hurting community. Um, He's had an intimate relationship with this church. John likely knew the very people that he's talking about that left. And he felt the pain with that community. He understands. He understands. Knowing this pain, what John does in this address is that he calls the church back to the heart of the gospel. He calls the church back to the heart of the gospel. There are allusions throughout 1 John, as you read it, that assume that the audience knew the gospel of John. Um, if you read it and you don't assume the, the gospel of John, it, some of it just doesn't make any sense. You're like, what are they talking about? Um, you'll see that in the very first verse. It kind of starts like mid-sentence almost. Um, so as we enter the text... Uh, Every week, as we go through 1 John, uh, we're going to go a little bit back and forth between 1 John and the Gospel of John. And I'll try to articulate 1 John and Gospel of John so you know that I'm speaking about different things, but unfortunately they're both called John and it can be confusing. Um, But I want to go back and forth between 1 John, what we're looking at, and the Gospel of John to show that John's heart, the call that John is making to the, for the heart of Christian faith is not a novel idea, he's not making something up. It's been there since the beginning. It's been there since the beginning. Uh, so would you follow along with me as I read from First John chapter one? First John chapter one: That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another Um, our series in First John, this series, um, will be entitled, Love Dwelt Among Us. And today's message is entitled, The Manifest Word of Life. Um, we're going to be looking at the manifest word of life in, with three lenses um, in this text. Uh, the manifest word of life, one, in our humanity. Uh, two, the manifest word of life in our fellowship. And finally, the manifest word of life in our confession. Um, so our humanity, in our fellowship, and in our confession. Uh, so first, um, the manifest word of life in our humanity. In, in the first few verses of First John, um, we're looking at the word of life, that John is writing the word of life. And with respect to the, to the gospel of John, the word of life is Jesus himself. If you know the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus has been revealed as fully divine and fully human. But throughout church history, from the earliest years, even to the present day, the church has always had trouble. We've always wrestled with the person of Jesus. We've always, always had trouble putting together who this person, divine person is, Um, the earliest heresies in the church revolved around the person of Jesus and it always leaned in one way or the other, whether they denied Jesus' full humanity or they denied Jesus' full divinity. First John chapter one, the first four verses, um, we'll take that first chunk. It seems to be correcting the confusion that exist, that existed in that church that Jesus was divine correcting the confusion that he wasn't fully human. These first four verses, it seems that there are people in this community that were overemphasizing Jesus' divinity at the expense of his humanity. They were emphasizing Jesus' divinity, his God characters, characteristics at the expense of his humanity. Now, just as an aside, we can make the opposite error in seeing Jesus as more human than divine. We, we emphasize his humanity and forget that he is God. Um, if you were around in the early urban outfitter days of, like, Jesus is my homeboy, it's, like, that same era. Um, or, like, Jesus is a friend of mine. Um, so, like, there's there's all these aspects that we can emphasize his humanity and forget his divinity. Um, the Psalms actually speak against this. The Lord, in Psalm 50, um, he rebukes his people for thinking that he was only like one of them, that we ignored his holiness. But in this text, in this passage, John seems concerned about the former error, that this community was over-spiritualizing the person of Jesus. Of the word of life that he talks about in these first this first block of Jesus, John emphasizes that we have experienced eternal life. We testify to it. We have heard it. We have seen it. It is very tangible. These emphases echo the famous line from the Gospel of John. Apologies for the back and forth, but the Gospel of John has this well-known line that the word, Jesus himself, God himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. These things that John is pointing out in First John emphasize that. The word became flesh. But what's mysteriously missing from this first block of text, and actually not just this block, but the whole of First John, is any reference to Jesus' glory. If you know the Gospel of John, it's all about his glory. The remainder of the verse that I just read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, if you know how it goes, and we have seen his glory, glory of the Father right and but in first john there's there's no reference to his glory there was acknowledgement of his divine attributes life light truth these metaphors but there's no parallel emphasis on his divinity like how john is emphasizing his humanity these tangible attributes things that we can see things that we can feel things that we can hear it's likely that john is not emphasizing these things in first john because Jesus' glory was already understood by his audience. They already, it was already a given. In fact, his opponents, the ones, those that he's writing against, assumed it already, assumed he was divine, assumed his glory, but they assume it to a fault. See, John, knowing his audience, he writes with a, with a Gnostic slant. He's using their language, he's using their words, he's using their vocabulary. To point them to the fullness of Jesus and not let them stay thinking that Jesus is just divine but not human. Jesus engages people, uh, John engages people who are too eager to over-spiritualize faith, to make faith about knowledge, to make faith about enlightened states of being. He engages those who prioritize uh, special spiritual disciplines at the expense of maybe the more mundane or tangible expressions of faith. So John counters this in this first block saying, no, no, he's more than that. The goodness of God, his glory, yes, we celebrate that, but John is reminding us in these first four verses, we cannot forget his humanity. The word manifests, Jesus manifests, In life, tangible expression in our love for one another. John is correcting those who like to divide life into spiritual and mundane or spiritual and secular. Those who say spiritual is good and mundane or the secular world is bad. John is combating this idea. We call it dualism sometimes. That some things are good, some things are bad in this person of Jesus, to only recognize a spiritual aspect but not also take in the full humanity of who he is. But how does this translate for us? Uh, John is speaking against dualism, but how does this translate for us? Uh, for many of us, I, I think dualism might manifest itself in a, in a different way, in maybe how we separate our lives into uh, different spheres, right? That at work, right? At work, we function in one way, But at church, we function a different way. We adopt different behaviors. Um, We acknowledge and accept different leadership structures. In church, we are more spiritual, right? This is an an elevated space. But in our family structures or in our offices, different rules. Is Jesus not there? For us, in in, in heady churches like ours, uh, we might claim not to split the person of Jesus into parts, at least intellectually. We don't emphasize his humanity over his divinity or his divinity over his humanity. But in the way that we live, in the way that we live, that's what John is pointing at. In the way that we live, the way that we live says that we do. We divide him. When John writes about eternal life, In the Gospel of John, as well as in 1 John, he's writing about a present reality. How we live, how we love. Eternal life is about how we live and how we love. At work, do we proclaim the word of life and how we work? In our relationships, is the word of life visible, audible, tangible? Do we exude eternal life? That John writes about. Because eternal life for John, and I know sometimes we, uh, even, even from our uh, assurance today, um, eternal life for God so loved the world. We long for eternal life. But sometimes we think eternal life is about when we live. We think it's about when. But eternal life for John is how. It is how we live. Eternal life now, not that will live forever in the future. Eternal life is the way that we live with one another. Do we exude eternal life, the how of how we live that John writes about? Um, if you have a alarm to wake you up, to, to point you to prayer, if you have an affinity to wake up early in the morning, to do spiritual disciplines, to call a, a call to prayer, if you have an affinity for these things, daily reading of the scriptures, John is not against those things. He he, he would say, do them. Do those things. These are good things. But do not divide or do not pride yourself in your spiritual disciplines and divide it from tangible expressions of love. Here, John is echoing the truth that the apostle Paul, he, he practically sings about this in a passage we might know well in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul sings, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. John is telling us, proclaim, proclaim eternal life tangibly and everywhere. In all that we do, in every place that we are, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our exceedingly, for those of you who had that study, with all of our strength. And we are to love one another as Jesus commanded us. This is the charge if you are here in the very beginning of the year. This is the charge that Elder Curtis gave us at the beginning of the year. And again as we start this final series together, I'm reminding of us, reminding us of it now. This is a good word. Love in tangible ways. Love in tangible ways. Visit one another. Don't wait for them to come to you. Serve one another. Don't wait to be asked. Anticipate one another's needs. Deepen your relationships so you already know. Don't let confusion and division keep you from living out eternal life. That's the first four verses here. That's what John is pushing us and the church that he's writing to. He's pushing us to eternal life. Jesus' life manifests among us. It is in living out love together that we are showing the world that we are his. His. We show the world that we are his, which merges with the second point, the manifest word of life in our fellowship. Now, in this passage, John, um, John uses a new word. Uh, he uses uh, the word koinonia. If you went to college, you might have seen a fellowship by that name. It, it means fellowship. Um, and koinonia is both vertical as well as horizontal. We show that we have fellowship with God, by being like him in how we love Jesus said that the world will know us by our love by our love visible audible tangible love that's how the world can see us and experience the love of Jesus the world will not know us by our heady theology it will not know us by our systematic beliefs it will not know us by how how what well we argue theories or what side of the fence we fall on regarding a number of hot button issues and there seems to be no end to them. The world will know us by our love. The world will know us by our love. But you might be asking, oh, but what about um, sexuality? By our love, Jesus says. What about engagement in social? By our love. What about our stance on charisma? By our love. I can't list out every single thing that might come into our heads when we think about what it means to have fellowship with God or to be part of God's people. But if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, Norman, you didn't say this one yet. If you're holding on to some novel idea that is not love, would you stop arguing with Jesus? Jesus says it's about our love. He says it's by our love. Jesus laments. Jesus laments the dividedness of the church, the broken relationship on partisan issues. We prayed about it earlier in our service. Jesus prayed. Do we not read in the Gospel of John his chiefly, chief priestly prayer? Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one, even as we are one. He prayed for us that we would be one as he is one with the Father um Leslie Newbigin who I, I quote often he is a missiologist theologian um he writes in his uh Meditation of the Church uh it's called the Household of God he says one of his um I'm paraphrasing one of the things that he puts forward before the the modern church he he says that it would be patently absurd for anyone to read the new testament and think that the modern realities of Divisions, denominations, is something that the New Testament authors were like, yes. It would be absurd. No one would read the New Testament and think that where we are today is what the Bible wanted. But it is the reality that we live in. So how do we love in the reality of something that's not ideal? We do that all the time. My instructions, I guess, for us in that reality that we live in is don't disparage one another for holding different convictions on secondary things. Respect one another. These are tangible ways of loving one another. Don't poke fun at one another. We wouldn't want someone making fun of us for our cultural practices. I don't know. Sometimes people are confused when they visit and have to take off their shoes. We we don't make fun of people for that. Or how frequently we wash our hands. Do not call one another's backwards for our affiliations. Or overly dutiful because of our ethnic and cultural upbringings. That's not the way of love. It's not the way of love. It's not the way of Jesus. John is encouraging the church that he's writing to and encouraging us, pursue love. Pursue love with one another. Demonstrate the love of Jesus to one another in visible, audible, tangible ways so that those on the outside looking in may know that there is fellowship may know that there is something divine in our seemingly human interactions, that there's something divine in our human interactions, that they see Jesus there. Complete your joy by living into our call to live love. Live out eternal life. Live out Jesus' life. In doing this to the church and in proclaiming this, John joins with the apostle Paul, in Philippians two, as well as Jesus Himself, recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter three, that in loving fellowship complete your joy, complete your joy. I think Curtis in the in the opening was like, that we are we glorified. We were so satisfied in Him. Complete your joy, complete your joy. But as we move on, we know that John he's older. He's not naive. I'm sure he's experienced strife and confusion before. If you read through the Gospel of John, you see that he has this like, almost comical bickering um, with Peter. There's strife, confusion, competition. John knows this. He knows this. And he's putting before us that though we are called to complete our joy, the reality of sin tugs on the other side of our souls. So what does he do? John points us to the lifeline of Christian living. Confession. He points the lifeline of Christian living. Confession. So finally, we close with this, that the manifest word of life in our confession. Now, there's a lot about walking in these, in these verses. Um, walking, uh, some of you already know this, but walking, is, it's a common Jewish metaphor for living out our lives. When the Bible says that Abraham walked with God, uh, there is some literal like that happened, <laughs> but it's also like it's also saying more qualitatively that he lived a life that honored God. Abraham walked with God means that he honored God in the way that he lived. John is stacking this common metaphor of walking with light and darkness to describe the message that we proclaim in how we live. We are called to walk in the light, not walk in darkness. All of us, every single one of us, who has ever tried, ever tried to love another, how impossible it is to walk in the light. It's frustrating, it's isolating, if you've never felt frustrated or isolated in trying to love someone, then you just love the shell of that person. You didn't really get to know them because we are all sinful people. To church members who have been here for a while, who have been at King's Cross for many years, even, I can even say just before you, have we not rubbed one another the wrong way? Disappointed one another? Lashed out? Slandered one another in our hearts if we didn't do it out loud? Uh, I'll use Josh because he keeps on nodding. We, it's true, (laughs) we've gone through lots of things. Um, How hard it is to love one another, to walk in the light. We are called to walk in the light, not walk in darkness. But being human, we can never be like God. John writes, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, none, zip, none, So to deal with sin, to deal with darkness, John reminds them. And I hope as we're listening, he's reminding you of the gospel. Um, In the second block, we'll we'll work from verse 9 as our anchor, but then we'll take it in chunks. In verse 9, there's a familiar verse for many of us. It shows up in our assurance from time to time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When John says confess, I'm gonna get a little greeky geeky with this one. When John says confess, the word there is homologomen. You can ask uh, <laughs> you can ask Jeffrey Jew to pronounce it more properly, um, but it's homo as in same, lego as the word. It means it literally means the same word. To have the same word. It means to agree. To agree with God about our sin. If we say we have no sin, we disagree with God. This helps make sense of John's... If you look at this section, John keeps referencing lies, deceit, truth. If we do not have the same word as God about our sin... We make God out to be a liar. Does that make sense as you read this block? So just confess means to have the same word, to agree with God. If we say we have no sin, we walk in darkness rather than light. If someone claims to have no failures, if you claim to have no sins to acknowledge, or if you don't agree that they are heinous before God and desperately need forgiveness, if I... Stand before you today and say this word applies to everyone else but me. If you are saying that, if you think it applies to someone else, you're thinking, oh, but you're not seeing that it's also you. There's no fellowship with God. That's how, it's, it's a harsh word, and I almost want to let the harshness sink in. If you think you have no sin, if you have, if it's, oh, it's a small thing, it's not heinous before God. If you say you have no sin, there's no fellowship with God. You disagree with God on our sin. As our church, um, the new pastor is on our mind. As our church is searching, praying for a new pastor, my hope is not merely for a pastor who's above reproach, something we like to quote um, but as we shared in our First Timothy and Titus series, we're looking for something a little deeper. Sure, we're not looking for someone who's an absolute degenerate, you know, above reproach, yes. My hope is not for a pastor, is not for a pastor who's just enthusiastic about mission or community or neighborhood engagement. That would be really nice. My hope is for a pastor who's quick, to confess, quick to acknowledge their need of Jesus, to be a bit personal quicker than I am, to walk in the light rather than stay in darkness. Because any of us who have walked in darkness know it's not a good place to be when you know you should be out. As our church in this period is figuring itself out, forming new bonds, reestablishing structures, My hope for us as a church is that we would be active in drawing one another out. Drawing one another out of darkness to walk in the light. Demonstrating fellowship through love. My hope is that we would cultivate hearts, each one of us, that are quick to acknowledge our own needs before pointing the finger or becoming defensive. A wise pastor once said, confess your own sins. Confess your own sins. If you don't confess your own sins, he said, you start to confess everyone else's sins. If you don't confess your own sins, you start to confess everyone else's sins. Imagine if the first thing we looked for in a pastor was not their gifts, but their engagement with their faults. Imagine if the quality that we wish to see most in one another and in ourselves was confession. John says, and I'll fill in confess here, if we would align our words with God's word regarding our sin and faults, it says he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us. But how is that just? How is that just? It is just because just before that, John writes that Jesus has already cleansed us by his blood. Jesus has already cleansed us by his blood. The scale's already balanced because of the cross. This is why it's just. Because of Jesus, justice has already been served. He has borne the penalty for our sins. It would actually be unjust For God to bring anything against us after Jesus. In Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Is that not a good word for us? Um, one last word to bring us to the table. When John speaks about confession and forgiveness in these verses, he's not speaking about discrete acts of confession or forgiveness and cleansing that are dependent on such acts. The confess, and again, Greek is fun. Well, not really, but like it's informative. If we can, conf- the confess that's here, it's present active. The tense there it, it conveys that something is ongoing. It's something that we keep on doing. It's not do and it's done. Do and it's done. It's 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 a posture almost. It's ongoing. It's present active. If you're curious, um, but the tense for forgive and cleanse, um, the tense is aorist, which we don't have in English. Um, it's hard to convey this tense, the meaning behind it, in English. Uh, the aorist tense is less about when something happens, and more about the fact that something just is. It's about reality rather than time. Because sometimes we read First John one nine, and we think it's a conditional clause: if we confess, he forgives. We think it's a before and after, but no, that's not what the tenses are telling us. The forgiveness and cleansing of God are not conditional on our confession. They are realities based on God's character and his love for his people. The practice of confession, having the same word as God regarding our sin, our agreement with God that we have sinned, that confession, it swims. It is already swimming a vast ocean of God's forgiveness and cleansing this is the heartbeat of the Christian faith we confess with confidence we acknowledge our sins with confidence knowing the character of God is to forgive and cleanse We confess knowing that the character of God is, it is, it's not conditional, it is, it's his character to love and forgive and cleanse us. This is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. It is what we remind ourselves of every time, every Sunday, when we come to this table. For the reality of his forgiveness And cleansing the reality of his cleansing and forgiveness is as sure as his resurrection from the dead which we proclaim here for on the night that our Lord was betrayed Jesus he took bread and after giving thanks he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink also in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns Church, this is a meal for those who have put their faith in Jesus, who are in fellowship with him, who confess, knowing that he is the Lord who cleanses and forgives. It's for those who have put their faith, who have been baptized in his name and are part of a Bible-believing church. If those three things are not true of you, we ask that you would just refrain from this time and consider this, this love that the Father has for us that because of Jesus, we can be children of God, brought into fellowship, not just fellowship, family, in the family of the king. Consider those that offer to you. Uh, What we're going to do is, I'm going to ask a few of our elected leaders to come up and help me serve this table. Um, We're going to line up uh, down the aisles, um, and there's two stations. Take the elements um, and return to your seats. Consider this gift of love. And after everyone has received the elements, we will eat and drink together, proclaiming the word of life. Would you join your heart with mine as I pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We confess, we agree with you that we have sinned. We have carefully carved idols in our lives that have not, not satisfied our souls. So we come to this table before you with open hearts. All the chisels I've dulled carving idols of stone that have crumbled like sand neath the waves. I've recklessly built all my dreams in the sand just to watch them all wash away through another day another trial another chance to reconcile to one who sees past all i see and reaching out my weary hand i pray that you'd understand you are the only one who's faithful to me we can confident in your mercy and our hearts earnestly whisper, can I offer up this simple prayer? Pray it finds a simple ear, a scratch in your infinite time, notwithstanding my fallings, notwithstanding my crimes. If I give my life, if I lay it down, can you turn this life around, around? Can I be made clean by this offering of my soul? Can I be made whole? We thank you that in Jesus, the answer is yes. That all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.